Welcome to St. Peter's Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. This term we are diving into a new series, looking at why we do the things we do, lifting the lid on some of our activities and practices as a church, the reasons behind them and how we can embrace them more fully. Enjoy listening and we hope to see you soon. Tonight's reading is can be found in the Church Bible on page 1218, and it is 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10. The living stone and a chosen people. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fail, fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Jules. Good evening, everyone. Good to see you all. Um, Well, this Sunday, as um, Susan said, we are continuing our series um, looking at why we do some of the things that we do here at St. Peter's. And this week, um, it's why we all play our part in the life of the church. So let's pray before we dive into this topic. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are already with us by your spirit. Thank you that you've been here all day, actually. We praise you that when your people gather, that you are there, you are here. So just help us with this topic, we pray. Speak to us by your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Bible gives us several different metaphors to describe different um, aspects of the church, what the church is like. Um, And I could do a quiz, but I won't because that would be cruel to say how many metaphors for the church can you remember from the Bible? Um, Maybe we'll do that next time. Um, But our reading today is especially helpful um, and actually quite revolutionary when it comes to this topic of why we should all play our part as he intended. Just listen again to verse 7 that Jules, uh, sorry, verse 5 that Jules just read. It says, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation. These are amazing words, aren't they, that um, have been declared over us, the church. But the two words that I particularly want to stick with this evening are royal priesthood. That's quite a spectacular description of us, the church, a royal priesthood. So God did something extraordinary when he formed the church, and Peter, writing here in this letter, is looking through spiritual eyes, looking at what God has been doing or had been doing with and through his people throughout history. Um, back in the Old Testament, sort of just as a sort of like speed, speed our way through the Old Testament, in ancient Israel, you'll remember how God formed his people around one person who was called Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Um, and then his sons formed the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you remember that? Just give me a little wave if you do. Yeah, you're all awake. That's good. Um, and God gave each of those tribes a certain piece of land or an area, and that would become the source of their life and their wealth. That was where they would live. Uh, but from those 12, God set apart one particular tribe who would not have their own land because their job was completely different. They were the Levites, and they had a unique purpose because they were to be the priests. Do you remember that? Give me a wave again. Actually, if we were Pentecostal, I'd say, give me an amen. Amen, amen. there we go. Uh, so that um, they were set apart to, uh, to look after the temple. These were the priests. And the, the temple, of course, was an incredibly important place um, at that time. It was a physical landmark, a very big one in the middle of Israel. Yes, there physically. But more importantly, if you wanted to encounter God, wanted to meet with God, then it was to the temple that you had to go. That was where God's presence was. And the temple itself had varying levels of entry. This is like 100 million sermons could be spoken about the temple anyway, so please forgive me if I'm sort of boinging over it very quickly. Uh, but the various, um, sort of how deep you could go into the temple uh, depended on who you were. But the Levites, if you like, were VIP access all areas. They were the top dogs. They were allowed to go to the places that regular people could not go to. And so the Levite priests were quite literally able to get closer to God than anyone else at all. They were allowed into the center of the temple, which was the Holy of Holies, where, um, where God's glorious presence was right there. That was the privilege and the responsibility that they bore. So they were guardians and the upkeepers of the temple. And if anyone came to the temple, it was the priests, the Levites, uh, who would be the ones who would sort you out. And if you can imagine all the jobs that would take place in the temple, the Levites were there to look after the whole of the thing. So they would have covered all of the jobs. They would be the ones to help you offer your worship. And they were the ones to help you offer your sacrifices, because that's what you would have taken at the time. They would be there to pray for you and with you, to come alongside you. And they did all the other jobs too. They were, yo, they were the musician, they were the singers, they were the guards, like Catherine, whoever is on the door. Who's on the door? I can't see who's on the door. They were on the door, they were dealing with the money, they were doing, caring pastorally for people who came in. And basically doing everything you can imagine so that people could meet with God when they came to the temple. So it was a really important role, a role that everyone knew about and knew that this role held honour as well because it was so important. And so in light of all that backstory about what a priesthood was like or had been like up until the point of Jesus, listen again to what an extraordinary thing Peter actually says here in his letter here in the, to the church. He says things have changed. You 
are now my chosen royal priesthood. Instead, the Levites are out of a job, sorry. <laughs> um, but the church, every single one of you, you are now the priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. Before we built the temple with stones, it said in the reading, he says, but you, and now you are the stones, and we understand that, don't we? We're, I think we're quite familiar and comfortable with that image that church isn't about the building, but it's about the people, so we're living stones. But he takes it even further than that. He says, you, every one of you, are now the priesthood. If people want to meet with God, now there is a whole different kind of priesthood to assist you. Not the few, not the elite, not the special, but the church, the priesthood of all believers, all Christians, reflecting the holiness of God and that of our high priest, Jesus Christ. So it's all about priesthood priesthood changed and we are now the priesthood of all believers and at the heart of this I think there are three important things that we need to remember or take note of um, or I think that are helpful to us as we try and identify ourselves as this royal priesthood first of all is that all believers everybody who believes in Jesus has access direct direct access to God Luke 23, I'm sure you can remember it, um, says that the heavy curtain that physically divided people from the actual presence of God in the temple was torn in two when Jesus died. I love that bit of scripture. It's so dramatic, isn't it? And I think it even says top to bottom. It's sort of like, like absolutely, the, 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 the entrance has been opened. So we have access to God himself, every single one of us has access to God. And Hebrews 4.16 tells us that now we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence, every single one of us again. So from that point on, every Christian could speak to God and could hear from God themselves. So they didn't need a priest to help them with that. So that's one important point to remember in this new identity. Then secondly, all believers would also be priests to one another. We are to serve and care for one another, the Bible tells us. It's very strong in the New Testament. The instruction to do this is everywhere. It's about caring pastorally for the body, loving each other in this way. Now, a bit of homework for you, if you want to press into this a bit, it's a great Bible study, actually, is do a search online or check in your Bible if you haven't got Google um, for how many times the phrase one another appears in the New Testament. I counted 59, but I challenge you to find more. It's, there's quite a lot of it anyway. Uh, priests to each other, loving one another. And then thirdly, that all believers were to be priests to the world. We've talked a lot over recent weeks about loving and serving the world around us, going with words and actions, and that is the job of the priesthood, to represent God to the people and the people to God, coming alongside a broken world to help a broken world come to God. Interestingly, those three areas align with our vision as a church, don't they? And God has changed everything with Jesus to make all of that possible. Loving him, loving each other, loving the world. The priesthood of all believers, called and equipped by God to do this. And so this renewed description of how the church should work clearly has ma massive implications that everyone should play their part in what church people or people who study these kind of things call every member ministry. Every member ministry, it's a strong value of us here at St. Peter's. And so, having said that, how do we do at this? How are we doing? 
Do we really view ourselves as the priesthood, as a priesthood of all believers? And how, how, how does this work for us in church? Well, it's an old joke. Um, you've probably heard it. I love pulling out the old cheesy ones. Um, that someone once likened the church to a football match where you have 22,000 people desperately in need of exercise watching 22 people desperately in need of a rest. <laughs> Funny, but doesn't it ring true a little? I think so. And somebody once wrote to their vicar like this. <coughs> Excuse me. Said, dear vicar, there are 566 people in our church. 100 are infirm and elderly. That leaves 466 to do the work. But 80 are young at school or at college, so that leaves 386 to do all the work. But 150 of those are tired business people, so that leaves 236 to do all the work. 150 of those are busy with children, so that leaves 86 of us to do the work. But 15 live too far away to come here regularly, which leaves 71 of us to do the work. 69 say they've already do, done their bit for the church, so that leaves you and me. I'm exhausted, so good luck to you. <laughs> it can often be the case um, in church. The church in the West has changed a lot over recent decades, and if we're honest, the ex expectations that many people have of church these days can look very different to the picture that Peter paints here in this letter. And some church structures, including the Anglican church, can actually confuse this teaching um, and help us to get a bit mixed up in this as well, because I was wearing a funny collar this morning um, that designates me as a, um, a priest. And I am a priest, um, but I'm in a house full of priests. Raise your hand if you're a priest. Amen. Um, so sometimes our church structures and that the language we use can actually not help us, um, where ministers or priests or the missionaries or pastors can often be seen as the ones who do the ministry, the proper stuff. In recent decades, also, our increasingly consumeristic culture in the society around us has also influenced churches everywhere. It's inevitable that it would. And sometimes we, even at St. Peter's, uh, may have become, in part, a little bit more like purveyors of goods, of tradition, and of services than of church, as we read about in the Bible. Ouch. But it's good to think about, isn't it? And to be honest, all these things are things that we need to watch out for in our own attitude towards church as we're absorbed by the society and culture around us. How much of it do we bring into our church building, our church relationships, our church activity? We need to do a check because God never intended church to be a service provider in that way. Instead, the Bible says that most ministry done as a church was clearly intended to be shared by the whole body the body of Christ, all believers, everyone involved. And so a healthy church should equip and release everyone to play their part in both ministry and mission as God has called us to do. I'm going to take us to Ephesians 4 now. I'm not going to read all of it, just a couple of verses to highlight. It says here that to each one of us, grace, or some translations say gifts, has been given to us as Christ apportioned it. And Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, and I'm putting in brackets here, why? <laughs> it says to equip his people for works of service. It doesn't say to do all the work themselves. It says to equip his people 
for works of service. Those, that's why those leadership roles are given. So it's clear that these gifts are given not for the few to do everything, but instead for the equipping of the saints. And all too often, churches um, in the church, because we, we live in the world we do, we can um, sometimes expect our pastors, our staff, um, clergy, to emulate the secular helping professions that we experience around us. For example, we, we go to the doctors. Um, I know um, Liz is here, I think. Um, when we go to Liz, or a doctor or any other doctor, we don't expect the doctor to train us to treat others. She's trained many years to do that. We just expect the doctor to treat us. Similarly, when we go to a lawyer, we expect the lawyer to advise us not to train us to solve our own legal problems. So it's easy, because that's the pattern of our culture when we go and visit professional people, to fall into the trap of, trap of expecting the professionals in church to serve us and not to train us to do the work of the ministry. But that's what the Bible says we're here to do, to train and equip and release, not to do it all ourselves. The biblical, biblical model of these giftings should be, I think, more of a player-coach kind of relationship in which leaders are there to teach people to minister, to equip them, encourage them, cheer them along, do it with them, um, see them fly in it, rather than doing all the ministry for the people themselves. Similarly, if you look at another passage, 1 Corinthians 12, other passage for you to read as homework if you want to, uh, where it's got lots of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, gifts to all of, all of us. Um, many of them are listed there. But in this particular passage, it says how God gives gifts to everyone as he determines, and he gives them, brackets again, my brackets, why? <laughs> for the common good. For us to help do the work that we're called to do. All of us are given gifts, every single one of us, um, and the ability to use them. But there's an urgent need in the church that uh, we use our gifts, that we exercise them so that we can do all that he's called us to do. Everyone is supposed to be involved. So this um, is really about being church rather than doing or attending or consuming church. That's the challenge. So that's the, that's the bit where we sort of have a bit of an MOT on how we're doing. But let's just flip it to the other side, which is actually that this is a really clever, exciting and powerful model that God has come up with. Um, sounds like God, doesn't it? Because it's amazing. This model, a royal priesthood, unleashes every one of the people here and in every church across the nation and around the world to all fulfill their potential using all the gifts and skills that God has given us so that we too then would grow in our own journey of discipleship and flourish as we're being used by the Lord. And so the wonderful thing here is, is as we are growing and flourishing, being used by the Lord, so the church grows and flourishes, so everybody wins and the church grows stronger and God is glorified, lives are changed, we're all blessed, we know him more deeply. Sounds like God, doesn't it? It sounds amazing. When the body aren't engaged in every member ministry, and then it just doesn't work as well because that's not God's plan. In other words, we don't grow in our discipleship so well because we aren't encouraging one another or being encouraged to love the Lord and grow in our faith. And we're not caring and loving for each other, supporting and watching out for each other through the ups and downs of life. Just as a side issue, that's the only way a church of our size is ever going to care pastorally for one another is by all of us doing it. 
because a small staff team can't care for 450 people. It's just practical. There's a, there's a ceiling. It's been tested by clever church people as to how big a church can get before you dim it really needs the whole body to operate as a pastoral machine, loving and caring for each other. So if we don't do it, our pastoral care of each other, our love of one another, isn't as good as it should be. And also thirdly, if, we, we, if we're not doing it, all this stuff, we aren't efficient in reaching out to the world because there's a lot of them out there and there's, if only a few of us are doing it, it's, it's too intimidating and we would never be able to love and serve and reach out to our communities. Simply overwhelming. So it's a common challenge for every church to learn and grow in this area. And those churches that do, um, I think are the ones that where you tend to see fruit. If I look at churches that I admire what's going on in them, and I see that they're really alive and pushing into the things of God and growing, this is the model that they are really um, taking on board. Because people are mobilized and taking part in the fullness of ministry. As the founder of the vineyard movement, John Wimber, um, often explained, he was very big into every member ministry. In fact, he used to call it everyone gets to play, which I think is quite fun. Um, everyone gets to play. He said, when you do this, it serves to create more opportunities for normal people to do extraordinary things. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And it has this great potential to, to be the scaffolding for growth, to extend pastoral care, to release more outreach and more work for justice and more serving of the poor, more people coming to faith, more people being healed, more lives transformed, including us. It's just um, a picture of how it's supposed to be. John Wimber summed it all up very well in this story, which you may have heard before, but he recounts uh, or recalls when he was once approached by a man um, in the fellowship who had met someone in great need. And after the worship, he came to tell John Wimber, he says, came to tell me of his frustration in trying to get help for this needy person. The man needed a place to stay. He said he needed food and support while he was getting on his feet and, and looked for a job. And he was really frustrated. He says, I've tried calling the church office, but no one could see me and they couldn't help me. So I finally ended up having to let him stay with me for the week. Don't you think the church should take care of people like this? John Wimber, um, was quite a character, I think he said, thought for a moment and said to the man, well, it looks like the church did. Every time we do something for someone, the church is doing something for someone because we are the church, all of us, with the priesthood of all believers. And every time we serve, we are living out our call to be that priesthood. And it's an amazing privilege, an amazing joy, an amazing responsibility as well. Because playing our part together, we serve his calling, and so we're blessed in return, we grow closer to him, his church is strengthened, and we represent Christ to the world. It's our kingdom calling to do this. So if somebody, Ben, you're going to the pub after the service, aren't you? If you go down the pub with Ben afterwards, he wants some friends, by the way. Um, if someone asks you in the pub, so, you know, what is the church? You'll say, you can say, we're a royal priesthood. Because we are. So I, I, I'm ending there, but, um, but actually I just had a little revelation just sort of sitting there next to Susan, um, having a sing. Great worship, by the way is that I'd, I think I'd love us to pray for each other because there's a verse that's been coming back to me a lot um, over quite a few months, actually, which is um, from 2 Timothy 1, 6, 
um, that I scribbled down here, where Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. And we talked about praying for each other a few weeks ago, and some of you did, which is wonderful. But I'd love us to pray um, just for each other for a few moments if we want to. Um, you can lay hands on, uh, touch someone's shoulder next to you if you want to, or you don't have to if you don't feel comfortable with doing that. But I think it's just those words. Um, to fan into flame the gift of God. The gifts he's given us. Maybe we have no idea what gifts he's given us. But he says he's given gifts to all of us, so we sure as heck have them. Um, so maybe we just need to know about them, or maybe we just need to fan, oops, excuse me, fan, fan them so that they get bigger and brighter. So, so many of us have gifts that we never practice, but if we don't, and if we don't use them, they're of no value at all. So I just think it'd be really good to encourage one another by praying, come Holy Spirit, fan into flame the gifts that we have. And also, just as a side issue, I'm just also quite struck. I think there's a whole other sermon series on spiritual gifts that we, we need to do at some point, um, and we will do. But um, there's a verse also in Corinthians, I think it's Corinthians 14, which says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. So it's okay to desire them as well. So if particularly there's a gift and you think, do you know what, I've always really liked the idea of having that gift, then when someone's praying for you, why don't you whisper to God and tell him what it is? Um, because he may just give it to you. <laughs> and wouldn't that be wonderful? So shall we stand? Once again, I give you a caveat. Some of us won't want to be prayed for. So um, in a moment, why don't you just turn to the person next to you? Or if um, it doesn't work quite that way, you can go and grab somebody who perhaps is on their own um, and just say, would you like me to pray for you? It doesn't have to be a big elaborate prayer. It's come Holy Spirit, fan into flame, the gift of God within my friend Rini. And just go for it, and then the band will lead us in worship after we've done that. Why don't we pray that? And if you want to say no thank you, it's very polite, um, you can just worship and maybe pray your own prayer to the Lord, and that's wonderful as well. So let's pray for each other if we feel to do so.